The thing that he taught me is, hey, value is all about perceived odds versus what the actual odds are. And value is not betting a lot of 10s, 20s, and 40s to 1s. Now, he will do it when he thinks it's the right time. Right. But he's not going to do that every race. And the biggest bet of his life was I'll have another. And, Jared, you fast forward a couple years later, we're sitting there and it's Kentucky Derby Day and American Pharaoh's 5-2. to two. And we think he should be even money to win the race. And what did we do? <laughs> we made the biggest bet of our life yeah, on American exactly. Pharaoh. There were these two racing dudes named Aaron and Jared who had to buy some racing and they wanted to share it. Started a website where players go to see all their picks. The goal was make the fans some money and to cut down the risk. They put the plan into motion and at first it seemed silly. Make a website where the expert picks are freer than Willie. From a racetrack veteran to just a beginner. There's one place that you want to go to find you a winner. As a matter of fact, I want to hit the exacta. There's only one site that you'll keep coming back to. So next time that the horses all line up at the post, make sure you use the website that'll win you the most. Whether Churchill, Oakland, Goldstream Park, Saratoga, and all tracks in between, there's only one site to go to. When it comes to your racing needs and all of your bets, plus it's got a catchy name that no one ever forgets. RacingDudes.com for all of your needs. RacingDudes.com for all of your leads. RacingDudes.com for all of your bets, racingdudes.com, as good as it gets, racingdudes.com, for all of your needs, racingdudes.com, for all of your leads, racingdudes.com, for all of your bets, racingdudes.com, as good as it gets. What is up? I'm Jared Welch, he's Aaron Halterman, this is Blinkers Off. What's up, my man? What is up? We got a huge show for you today. Going to be a good one. That's right. We have the legendary John White with us today, and we're going to talk a little bit, uh, you know, the big racing coming up, the Breeders' Cup. Finally, feels like, you know, we have this week, which is the John White week. We have next week with the pre-entries, and then the next week, guys, we'll have the actual uh, Breeders' Cup will be here. It seems like it's been one of those years that you didn't know if it would ever get here for a lot of reasons, uh, but we are here. Yeah, it, it's crazy. This year, in, in, in some ways, is just drug on and on, and it's like it's never going to end. And then some days you look up and it's like it's almost the Breeders' Cup. Like, I, I don't even remember what happened to, to this year. It's been crazy since March. But, you know, we talked about a little bit on the show last week. Once the Preakness got over, it's like, okay, finally it feels like a normal type of situation again where it's like okay it's breeders cup and it's in the right time frame yeah and we've got all the preps are in the are done and kind of they were in the right time frame so maybe we'll have a normal big event really the first time since the pegasus this year where i've kind of felt like okay this is a normal other than no people at least the schedule is normal so it's it's been nice uh so yeah two weeks to go right two weeks from today we'll we'll be in keeneland and uh and, and and it'll be Breeders' Cup Eve. It does. It does. To you, what you're saying, it does feel a little bit more like this, like this time of the year when you're normally prepping for the Breeders' Cup. It feels this feels a little more normal. Um, aside, you know, we're going to be there, so that feels normal. Obviously, the fact that no fans will be there that that will definitely hit us. I'm sure once we're there, um, mm-hmm. but it does have a little bit more normalcy. You know, prepping for it uh, as we do every year. And, you know, it's been a hell of a, a hell of a strange year, whether it be the triple crown, be all jacked up in different orders or, uh, horses, you know, uh, taking time off or this because of the delays of having their starts later in the year because of these races being changed. We find, we get to a race that the classic, it, it's shaping up to be the race of the year, uh, because so much will be on the line with, you know, with kind of the, and that's what it's for, right? You have a race that has all mm-hmm. the best horses running the final big race to see who's the best. And the way it's kind of happened, and at least it should, 
you're hopefully going to get all those horses into that race um, to go get, you know, to battle against each other, you know, at, at Keeneland. So I, to me, maybe we can salvage this year with one massive race in the classic. Oh, we absolutely can. It's definitely a classic that uh, is 10 times better than what we saw last year. And you have to love that the classic is going to determine horse of the year. And I feel like that's when it, that race is at its best. It's the biggest race as far as purse money uh, in America. And you want you want horse of the year to come down to that. And, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Last year it certainly didn't. But with this year, I mean, there's undoubtedly the horse of the year is going to come out of the classics. So with that in mind, yeah, it's it's huge. You know, you're going to have that build up to the whole whole day of just boom, here comes the big race. So, yeah, it's a lot to look forward to, and it's going to be the race of the year, uh, or at least it has the potential to be. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't waste any more time because I want to talk to the guy nope. that we can actually talk to uh, about that sub- yep. subject. Um, so, I could say the best thing I saw today is the fact that, you know, the Chiefs won again, or, you know, Le'Veon Bell has been on the team officially, or we could talk about the fact that the Breeders' Cup wagering guide is available for pre sale. We could talk about. Uh, the fact that we are going to Keeneland for the Breeders' Cup. But it has to be the fact that John White is going to be on the show today. Um, yep. You know, we didn't have him uh, on the, for the Derby year this year because it was so messed up. Uh, we have him on every year for that and for the Breeders' Cup. So we talk to him almost every day. But for the people, I mean, we actually had people ask us, hey, are you guys going to have John on? It's like, yeah, yeah, we'll have John on to get some insight because this year – you know, we just like like we've talked about this all leading up to it. it it's just so but weird that getting his insight uh, for a Breeders' Cup is always something that I mean we do normally, anyways, uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and, you know first time John's been on the show since it's live. So what's cool is if you guys are listening, you have questions for John, uh, ask him in the comments, and then and then we'll ask John on the air, and it'll be it'll be kind of a very cool. To have that fan interaction where in the past we haven't. It's just you and I and him and we record it and then it's released to the public later. So really cool dynamic to have that added. You want a question, you know, ask a question for John White, boom, you can do it today. So I think that's cool. Uh, looking forward to it. Like I said, let's not waste any more time, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, how often do you guys get a chance to, if you're live watching, to ask John White uh, a question without him, you know, telling you to get the hell away from him or something. Cause I'm sure that's what he does. <laughs> no. uh, I can confirm normally. he does not do that. <laughs> uh, but no, anyways, yeah. So have your questions ready. If you are listening live, if you're listening after the fact, you know, just sit back and enjoy, uh, this round table discussion with John White. That's what we're going to do today's show. We interview John White, Santa Anita morning lines, morning line odds maker, uh, maybe another odds maker. We'll, we'll talk to him a little bit about that. Uh, coming up, a longtime horse racing journeyman. He's going to give his thoughts on the upcoming 37th annual Breeders' Cup World Championships, including some of his strongest bets and favorite long shots for the 24 or for the 14 championship races at Keeneland. Let's go! We are very proud to announce and bring in our favorite man in horse racing. The legendary John White, friend of the podcast, friend of the dudes. We've known him for years. Does the line, uh, the odds for Santanita, of course, does it for the Breeders' Cup when it's out there as well. Uh, you know, he's been doing, you name it, he's done it in horse racing. Of course, he is all over the Breeders' Cup every single year. So what better than have him on and talk about this crazy-ass year we've had and talk about the Breeders' Cup and what he likes. And so welcome, John. Welcome to the show. Great to meet you, dudes, as always. And uh, uh, let me start by saying that uh, Aaron, the uh, the possibility 
the well he said the cinch that the horse of the year will be determined in the breeders cup classic but i've been down enough of these breeders cup classic roads before to say that's not necessarily the case for instance let's say somebody like a tacitus wins the classic and swiss skydiver wins the distaff impressively certainly then all of a sudden you could start to make a case for swiss skydiver for horse of the year in that scenario right there so chances are yes the breed, the course of the year probably will come to the Briscoe Classic, and it, I always like it when that happens because that was kind of the purpose of the Breeders' Cup Classic was to be like the horse of the year deciding race. It took the place mainly of the Jockey Club Gold Cup before the Breeders' Cup. The Jockey Club Gold Cup was the premier race for old for three year olds and up in this country for many years. Was at two miles. The Great Mare Shuby won it twice, going two miles. But uh, when the Breeders' Cup came along, of course, that made the Classic really the big race for the three-year-olds and up at the end of the year. And a three-year-old can win it. Uh, we just had announced that tis now the California bred has been pensioned as the sire. And, of course, he's still the only time Breeders' Cup Classic winner. And, uh, you know, Zenyatta came close but couldn't quite pull it off. So that's really the longer we go from tis now and that accomplishment it shows how tremendous it was for tis now in dramatic fashion and both of them winning in photo finishes against outstanding european uh, rivals in the back-to-back -back breeders cups you know you you kind of we mentioned and you kind of brought it in there with how you started it with with the classic and i mean can you remember a year and again like we know that it could it doesn't necessarily mean it's the the, the horse of the year will be uh, happen, you know, be crowned, so to speak, out of the classic. But you know, in the, like you say, odds are yes. Have you seen a year that you can remember? I mean, authentic, uh, improbable, maximum security with the win. If if Swiss got ever were to run in the classic, you know, with the win, she would. Uh, Tis the law. Tom's Diatad, even possibly five to six horses in one race. Can you remember a year that you've seen that many horses with that potential to, to win the, the horse of the year? Good question. And off the top of my head, no, I've seen where there might be two or three, but not this many. And, uh, you know, kind of a similar situation, but not with the depth of the horse of the year candidates in the classic that you just articulated. But uh, 1986, the two leading candidates for horse of the year going into the breeders were Kirk O'Man and precisionist and lady secret also was a candidate that did not run in the classic and for the distaff and this is why i kind of know what could possibly happen here because turkoman didn't win precisionist didn't win skywalker pulled off an upset and won the racer lafitte pink eye in fact i cut that chart for the racing form so if you go into the breeders cup archives if you go into their media guide or online to the, all the charts of the breeders cup that's my chart 96 breeder classic that was won by skywalker i also called the distaff and that was won by lady secret defeating franz valentine and lady secret's overall body of work carried the day i'm voting for the in the eclipse since 1976 and that year i did not vote for Lady Secret is Horse of the Year. Why? Because he chickened out and didn't run in the Classic and ran in the Distaff and beat a much softer field than the horses that were in the Classic. And so for me, I felt like 
I didn't want to reward for the spot. So I voted for Turco Man as Horse of the Year that year, and he was the Eclipse Award-winning older male that year. And uh, But if, if Turco Man had won it, he would have been Horse of the Year. Precisionist had won it, he would have been Horse of the Year, but neither one of them could get the job done, and that opened the door. And I'm not saying Lady Secret was a bad Horse of the Year. She was a tremendous, tremendous female bred for D. Wayne Lucas, She's a, a very appropriate horse of the year. I don't blame anybody for voting for her. She had a tremendous year that year, but I didn't like the way she kind of chickened out. And that's with Swiss Skydiver, for instance, to run in the staff and win that. And we had an upset in the classic. I, that would be make it harder for me to vote for Swiss Skydiver because, as you said, Jared, what would really make her a deserving, without any question, horse of the year if she ran in the class field? Exactly. I mean, y- y- I think, you know, I've been saying all along that whenever he kind of, I mean, not to mention, I think she's probably better than a mile and a quarter, but you never, you want to go for history. To me, run her in the classic. Yeah, I mean, if she, if she was mine, I would run her in the classic. I just well, I mean, they already old to run in the Preakness, so I mean, it isn't like that would be out of character for those connections to go for the gusto would run in the classic. And like I say, if she were to win it, you know, in a way, she's in a position without much to lose because she's basically got the three year old Philly title wrapped up mm-hmm. at this point. Winning right. the Preakness that put her <clears throat> over, the thing. so she's got that Eclipse Award. She's, there's nothing else for her to prove other than to be horse of the year. For, so from that standpoint, to me, I would run her in the classic. And that's why, like I say, I did not feel wanted to reward ladies' secret connections when they opted for the softer race. And so to me, I, I, that was a big point of contention with me in that 1986 Eclipse Award balloting. So as we talk about the classic, one thing that I am struggling with from a handicapping perspective, not just the classic, but also the sprint as well with two horses that have kind of proven throughout the year that they are very formidable and will be tough, but they're coming off long layoffs. And we know that we handicap six to eight week layoffs nowadays because that's just how it goes. But Tom's Dita and Vacoma. Two horses, I think Vacoma could win the sprint. Tom Sata at one time looked like the best older male. How are you kind of approaching these two horses when it comes to those races because of this layoff that we're seeing? Very good question. What I think you have to do is take it on a case-by-case basis. And a lot of times you need to look, have they run off before? You have to look at the trainer. Is it a trainer that has had success in this type of situation? And in the case of both of those horses, to me, they would be dangerous despite the fact that they will be coming in off layoffs. Look at Tis the Law, you know, quite possibly, and this is hard to be, but just running back in one month, the Travers to the Kentucky Derby, he, that might have been one of the reasons he didn't quite have that punch at the end of the Kentucky Derby. And that was, you know, with a month between races. But horses today just seem to need more time than they used to. Look, in 1973, Secretary, when he got beat in the Wood Memorial and finished third behind it, his stable made Angle Light and Sham, the Santa Anita Derby winner, Secretariat finishes third for his first loss as a three-year-old. That was two weeks before the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> I mean, today, you think of that. You would think, 
Chan and Secretary both coming back in two weeks. <laughs> Secretary's coming off a lot, and you say, can't around two weeks? Look what he did. He bounced back and broke the track record. He broke the track record in the Preakness Stakes, which it took uh, like many years for him to finally get credit for that. So it took him so long to get credit for his Preakness record that uh, it no longer was a track record because it took him that long to finally write that injustice. But as I've always said, thank goodness they screwed that up at Pimlico because it was screwing it up at Pimlico that robbing Secretariat of his track record that set the stage for the Belmont Stakes, which is the race of our lifetime, the 31-length victory by Secretariat. Mm -hmm. And I've asked Ron Turcott about that. And I asked him, I said, no, were you riding against Mm -hmm. the clock? And he said, yeah, once Cam was way out of the race and I knew no one was near me, normally I would have wrapped up on Secretariat. But instead, I kept pumping on him. And I he, he says, I even looked at the timer in the end because we did not want to get robbed of another track record. And that's why Secretariat won by 30 lengths instead of something like 10 lengths or 12 lengths or something with, with him just practically standing up at the end of the race. And remember back then, horses ran more often, so they would have wanted to try to reserve the energy. And back then, we really had hand racing where they were not shy to put 130 pounds or more than that on top horses. So they were too eager to be breaking any records in the Belmont Stakes. They would have been really looking at the bigger picture. Left southeast in the mouth of Penny Chenery at the time Penny Tweedy, trainer Lucian Lauren and Ron Turcott, that they, they wanted to make sure Secretariat, if at all possible, was going to break that record. And he shattered Gallup Mann's track record that day, a record that it's hard to believe anybody could ever break that record. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that, that, that race still, I mean, gives you chills thinking about how awesome and just amazing to think uh, running against the clock. And I think that was a good question as far as how you handle handicapping these horses. Mm-hmm. Um you know, because of that long, long layoff that makes it almost impossible to judge how, you know, how these horses are going to come into it. And that's, you know, a thing that I was looking at earlier today is you have so many horses. I mean, sure, an improbable who came in, it was awesome in the awesome again, um, you know, Swiss skydiver in the Preakness, but you have several very good horses, authentic losing in the Preakness. You have, you know, of course, Maximus Curie losing in the awesome again. And, and Tiz the Law losing in the Kentucky Derby, and Tom Diotat losing in the Whitney, like you know, even that long layoff plus losing so many horses that have lost their previous races coming into this race um, that adds some intrigue. If you are looking to play against Bob Baffert's Improbable, you kind of might get a decent price on say, let's say Maximum Security. How do you look at Maximum Security in this race, a horse that almost has done nothing wrong, but might be the most talked about horse, uh, in, you know? in recent memory, uh, how, how do you handicap a horse like that who seemingly just got blasted by Improbable last time out, but it's hard to discredit what he's done in his overall career? Well, remember, when he got blasted by uh, Improbable, he was the one-to-two favorite. So, I mean, that gives you kind of a barometer that, that going in awesome again, Improbable, it was maximum security as the top-rated horse, you know, in the country, really. And uh, so we're putting a lot into that one loss for maximum security. I certainly think he could turn the tables 
on improbable. One reason I think that is something that has to linger in your mind in terms of improbable. Whenever he's shipped out of California, except basically the Whitney, he's had trouble in the starting gate. Now, so are you going to assume that now that he went to New York and didn't have a big problem in the starting gate, he'll be okay at Keeneland? Might be. But do you want to take the shortest price? Probably. I think he'll probably be the favorite uh, because he's got the three big races with the three buyers. And he's won on the East Coast and the West Coast, you know, both. So, I, I mean, I see Improbable. Now, Tis the Law has got such a following, and he's got such a name and uh, has been bet so heavily this year. He could possibly go favored, too. I would make Improbable at this point, slight favorite over Tis the Law. And I would even maybe make Tis the Law close second favor with maximum security. Because remember, again, as I said, maximum security was odds on one that awesome again and i mean he a big winning streak going into the awesome again and after all he only won the richest race on the planet a 20 million dollar race here this year so in other words maximum security brings a lot to the table and uh i think that there were a number of things kind of against maximum security last time i i you know his last couple workouts are indicative that he's very likely to run better this time now whether that's good enough to win who knows but you know he's never been that good a workhorse in the morning jay pruden has reported that for the racing forum and many and it's true and yet uh, he's actually putting together some decent between that awesome and and the breeders cup to suggest that maximum security is quite possible to bounce back big time off of that uh so it's an intriguing classic, uh, and as you, you have pointed out, Aaron, it's really a very competitive group this year. Nobody's going to be fair because I would make improbable around the neighborhood of five to two. Uh, so we're not looking at somebody like six to five, even money odds on anything like that, even eight to five. I think we're looking at a five to favorite, maybe even as soft as three to one, depending on how much support. Those horses below, kind of, to me, there's kind of a big three here. Big three are, and then, then there's the right below the big three. The big three would be Improbable, Tis the Law, Maximum Security, and then right below would be Authentic. And if Authentic had won the Preakness, he would be in with the other group too. But coming off yeah. a loss against the Philly, I think in terms of the betting, not the outcome of the race, but the betting, I think that you kind of have to put authentic just a notch below the big three. Yeah, and I would agree with that as well. I, I that's kind of how I would I would view them as well. I now I want to get into a little bit of the tis the law authentic talk because, you know, historically you look at the Breeders' Cup, a three-year-old wins this race, you know, the classic quite often. So, uh, tis the law and authentic, I think, obviously are the big two. Tis the law kind of reminds me a bit not talent wise but just how he's coming into the race as american pharaoh back in 2015 when the race was at keeneland last um coming off a loss a little bit of a break after the loss training up to the race so to speak is is tis the law going to be able to to turn the tables number one and finish ahead on ahead of authentic and number two can tis the law win this race I would say yes to both questions. I, I think both are possible. I, you know, Tis the Law has proven, uh, you know, his, 
what he did before he finally got knocked up in the derby, and he certainly could turn the tables on authentic. A lot is going to have to do with how toxic paces in the classic. And we won't really know that until we actually know who all is in the race and especially what post positions they draw. And by the way, I don't know. I'm not making the morning line this year, but I've made making morning lines in my life for racetracks going clear back into the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And the only time ever at any track that I've ever had to make the morning line before I knew the post position for the Breeders' Cup races last year. And I had to hold my breath because, you know, of a favorite type status had drawn a horrible post. You know, the boat had sailed on me and there was nothing I could do about it. It would be Mike Battaglia having to make the morning line before the Kentucky Derby. And then you get Tiz the Law draws. And certainly that would change what kind of would make. And in a lot of cases, you might even want to switch favoritism. Now, that said, I've made the morning line for six Breeders' Cups, and I would say there's only a handful, maybe three, four, or five times in which a post position ever made me change favoritism or really change something of any real consequence. So that's what I was hoping, that at least having to turn in the morning line before the post position draw wasn't going to come back and bite me. And it didn't. I got lucky on that. But that's kind of you're just skating on thin ice because that's going to happen one of these these days when it. Be, and I understand why they want it because it helps when they have that they can do the draw and have the morning line right there ready to roll mm-hmm. graphically and for everybody to get right. There. So I mean, I get it. That's why I mean, I didn't. I think thought I was going to have some kind of resistance to doing that but I'm not living in a cave and I knew they had done it the year before. So I, I knew that they weren't going to change it back. So I, I was prepared when they said, Hey, you know, we need you to make that morning line before they draw the post positions. You'll know who's in the race, but you've got to make those odds before you know what posts they get. So like I say, that's a scary situation in a way. And certainly I was sitting there watching every draw, hoping that some, horse that I had made the favorite at like the 14 hole a mile on the turf or something like that and like I say I got lucky in that yeah I mean that it seems impossible to at the task to, to ask somebody to do that but like you say I mean I get why they ask people to do that um or improbable <laughs> <laughs> what if you what if there you made improbable the favorite and improbable improbably got the one the one spot that would <laughs> <laughs> that would make things really interesting. Um, we do have a question on here that uh, about asking about the Euros. So as we kind of transition to another race, like say the race prior of the turf, uh, a race that obviously is typically dominated by uh, the Euros coming in. You know, one of the questions was, you know, when you when as he's watching replays uh, of you know these Euros, uh, you know, for the Breeders' Cup races, what do you, is there anything specifically that you're looking for, John, when it comes to you know, how they'll transition over here. Obviously, you know, we don't know exactly who's for sure coming over in for the turf. Uh, but, you know, obviously it, it is dominated by the Euros. So some of these races, it helps to know who these Euros are. So is there anything you look for when you're uh, when you're kind of handicapping for these Euros coming in? That's an outstanding question. Hey, first, there are a number of things you're going to be looking for. One of the most important is you want to know 
again, what kind of trainers have had history, you know, a, a history of success in the past, because they tend to have figured out the fact of shipping across, you know, the halfway across the world and uh, the difference of American racing versus European racing. So that's important. Um, you want to kind of just get a sense of, uh, you know, the, the European people like. Uh, one of the things that has helped me in the recent years, and I mean really recent, is Odds Checker, which is the website that the betting odds for all of the uh, bookmakers in Europe. And that, that's really helped me the last couple of years and Anita. I have to be careful when I'm looking at that, though, because they have the odds for all of the Breeders' Cup races, and those are basically European betters. So I have to take into account that we'll have American pool as far as the betting. You know, it is a worldwide pool for the Breeders' Cup, but the vast majority of the money is bet in the United States. So in other words, a European horse would tend to get bet a little more, generally speaking, in the European, with the European bookmakers than they might say here in the United States. So you, you're looking at such things and this is one of the most overlooked things as far as Europe, I think with most horse players, what are they going left-handed, right-handed or straight? And I'll give you an example of that, that led to me to get a really nice winner in the breeders and it was over a lot. And I loved a horse called Squirtle Squirt in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. And we used to have a racing show here in the Los Angeles area every uh, Monday and Tuesday. It was kind of a handicapping show. And I was on with another handicapper who loved a horse coming in from Europe for that Breeders' Cup Sprint on the... And this had never been around a turn. All of his sprints had been straight on the... So, I mean, to me... It's not to say that that horse, if he's that good a sprinter, couldn't win the Breeders' Cup sprint on the dirt. It, it could happen. But to me, that's a horse to take a stance and let him beat me from the standpoint that he's got a double whammy. Never run on the dirt and never run on a turn. The horse I loved was trained by Bobby Frankel, Squirtle Squirt. And this, was, uh, this is another thing that horse players can learn a valuable lesson on in terms of what I did with Squirtle Squirt was you look through his past performances and you circled where he was at the six furlong mark in all of his races. And he ran in a flock of some furlong races in his life and had had the lead at the six furlong point, but he would get beat in that last furlong. So to me, it was a big key to him that the Breeders' Cup Sprint, unlike the Philly and Mare Sprint, which is seven furlongs, that the Breeders' Cup Sprint is six furlongs. And his record went from good to basically outstanding. And he had Jerry Bailey. Now he did one hole, so the pressure was on for him to get away from the gate well. But he was a pretty big price that day. I remember what he went off of, but he was not like a favorite or the second favorite. He's a pretty nice price. And I absolutely love that day, despite the fact Frankel didn't win a Breeders' Cup. But that's one of those anomalies to me. That guy was too good of a trainer with too good of horses that you were not going to keep that guy being shut out of the Breeders' Cup for his whole life. And Squirtle Squirt came through beautifully. And that was a single for me in that pick six that year. <laughs> what a name, by the way. I know. <laughs> that's what I kept thinking. I was like, I've never heard of this horse, but i got to look him up now <laughs> because of this name. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, is it a squirtle squirt? Okay. Uh. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. He was a good sprinter, and uh, but he really blossomed for Frankel. And But like I say, what really cost him from winning even more races than he did, he was a true six furlong or shorter horse, not a seven furlong horse. And so there were a number of seven furlong sprints he lost extra furlong. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean that that is that's a big key, especially when you look at the the sprint being at two different dif- distances for the for the males and the females. I think that I think that's kind of why just the theory I have. A lot of times you see a longer price in the in the filly and mare sprint, and I think it's because that extra furlong. When you get to seven, you get a lot of specialists. I think at seven furlongs, where six is kind of more of your standard, you know, uh, distance for a sprinter. So I. John, here's a question. While we're on that, why why did they make that race seven furlongs? Do you have any idea? Because it doesn't seem like a natural, you know, distance for the sprint. I agree. I uh, I no idea. My just a guess would be the fact that maybe when they first started, they were worried about getting enough fillies to for it to fill, and draw more horses cutting back in distance from the mile, mile and the sixteenth, and mile and an eighth. They might be tempted to try the try the seven than they would to cut back all the way to six, and so you know the, the thing is the Breeders' Cup has expanded through the years that they've you know had to wonder will the dirt mile play from the classic would the Philia mare turf take away from the turf that was the first expansion race was the Philia turf, and really we used to have the Philia mare turf. What would be the equivalent of it? See, there's these races that we had at American Racing that were the equivalent of these Breeders' Cup before the Breeders' Cup. As I said, the Jockey Club Gold Cup, basically the Breeders' Cup Classic. And another example of that would be the uh, turf. The turf was the Washington, D.C. International. That really became the premier turf race in the United States. And unfortunately, the Breeders' Cup just kind of wiped out the Washington, D.C. International. It went from being the top turf race for the three-year-olds and up on the grass in this country to like a blip on the radar screen. So that's the impact the Breeders' Cup has had on some of our really top races in the country. And uh, so I think that their thinking was, and the Philly Turf, well, the yellow ribbon stakes here in Southern California during the Oak Tree meeting at Santa Anita. And that was the brainchild of Probably the greatest racing official I've ever known. That was Jimmy Kilrow, who is the race is named after him, the Frank E. Kilrow Mile. But we all called him Mr. Kilrow because he had forgotten more about horse racing than any of us combined will ever know. He up under the great race of Terry John B. Campbell, who has a race named after him in Maryland. And Mr. Kilroy, I mean, I used to sit and listen to him and try to soak up every bit of information I could get from Mr. Kilroy. And that was his his brainchild, was the yellow ribbon. And that really was the equivalent of the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. The yellow ribbon was a mile and a quarter. And uh, for the first few years of the Breeders' Cup, they didn't have a race on the turf for the Phillies and Mare. They would have to run in the turf against the boys. And uh, the Breeders' Cup, in their very first expansion move from the original Breeders' Cup races was to come up with that Philly and Mare turf kind of riding on the coattails of Mr. Kilroe. And I always think of Mr. Kilroe when they run that Philly and Mare turf because, as I say, he was the one that was ahead of the curve to have that race. And actually, Hollywood Park 
piggybacked first because they came up with the matriarch stakes. But that's where, you know, it's it's uh, these races. The Breeders' Cup, fortunately, I really cry for this, guys, that it doesn't always say who's going to get the Eclipse Award because if that was the case, we'd have some wacky. I mean, would you really want Val Poning to be Horse of the Year, for instance? <laughs> you know, I mean, so you, the body of work for the year counts for a lot and the Breeders' Cup counts for a lot. That's the way it should be. You know, you're talking a little bit about some of these, you know, how we, how you can, who would win a horse of the year, for instance, you know, and we talked about Swiss Skydiver uh, earlier as far as running in the distaff or not running the distaff. And of course the horse that's going to run in the distaff, at least we think so, is Monomoy Girl. And, you know, so that obviously would play a factor, you know, it's so say, you know, if she's not, if Swiss Skydiver is not it, if she runs in the classic, like we hope she does, I mean, Monomoy Girl has to be one of the the uh, the shorter the shorter prices of of the Breeders' Cup two days, right? Uh, yeah, I would think so. I mean, she she's coming into this race, uh, you know. Obviously, no Midnight Bizu, no, uh, you know, we that would have been the the hope to see kind of that that matchup between her and uh, you know and and uh, Monomoy Girl. So, do you think it? So, say let's just pretend Swiss got ever runs. In this race, is I mean, is that is is beating Swiss Sky? Or is, if Swiss Sky ever were to beat Monomoy Girl win this race, does that add a little bit of more credit credit to her as far as dodging um, the uh, the classic? It would, you know, that helps. But you know, Franz Valentine was a very top filly when Lady Secret beat her. Franz Valentine is a three year old that won the Kentucky Oaks. Was a multiple, you know, in fact, Franz Valentine was at that first Breeders' Cup and finished first in the juvenile fillies and was disqualified. Franz Valentine was the very first horse ever disqualified at the Breeders' Cup, and uh, that made outstandingly the fa- the uh, winner. And what's great again is those two had a rematch in the Starlet Stakes to settle the Eclipse Award that year, and outstandingly beat Franz Valentine again. So. See, that made it easy in terms of who to vote for, because even though Franz Valentine had finished first but was disqualified, she was not able to beat outstandingly in the rematch. And so that you just really couldn't vote for, I don't think. I mean, we've seen some wacky votes, though, <laughs> like in the NTRA poll. But uh, to me, you would have had to been pretty wacky to be voting for Franz Valentine or outstandingly. You know, now, if... If they hadn't had the rematch, you could understand somebody saying, well, yeah, Franz Valentine was disqualified and maybe didn't dis- agree with that decision or whatever. But the fact that Allingley came back and beat her again really, to me, simplified matters. So here's a question. I thought, Jared, you were going to ask it, so I'm glad you didn't because I like to ask John this question. <laughs> okay. Um, be- because your, your, your article right before the Breeders' Cup, you always label – you know, who is the, the best, the, or maybe, you know, the most likely winner of the entire Breeders' Cup out of the 14 races. I, I always look forward to it. Um, and Monomoy Girl, I, I would assume, would be a candidate for it. But I'm not sure if she's my most likely winner. Who is your, at the, and we won't hold you to this, but just as of right now, who would be your most likely winner of this Breeders' Cup? That's a good question, and a lot of times I would have uh, an answer at this time. Now, I will tell you, I don't think it'll be Monomoy Girl, for starters. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason I'm kind of, it's up in the air for me right at this time. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, Monomoy Girl, I, I, I mean, I have a ton of 
respect for her, but I, I, I'm, I don't think she's any slam dunk by a long shot in that race. Most likely, I'm not going to pick her. So I can't make her the most probable winner when I'm not even going to pick her. I like it. Uh, right now, that's kind of a wide open situation to me. Uh, as Raiders Cup, I, I really don't see anyone at this moment that I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, that would be the one. In other words, this is a Breeders' Cup year where I'm going to have to really kind of look at the past. You know, once we get the past, even the pre-entries will help. And I should have a much better idea once we see the pre-entries. That's going to help simplify matters to some extent. But I might not really even have an answer to that question until after the entry. And I really go through the past performances after the races are drawn. So here's the deal. I... Great minds think alike, guys, I'm telling you, because I really want to beat Monomoy Girl as well. And so I that you got me you got me going there with that comment. Because I thought I was on an island with this, but I, I really want to beat her. I you know, she just she hasn't faced much all year. And I just feel like now if Swiss Skydiver's in the race, obviously we've got a, a viable option right there. But man, I, I want to try to find somebody. Um, reason I asked is because, and again, I, this is just as of right now, it could change and maybe we can transition to this, to this race as I, as I say this, but Jackie's warrior in the juvenile, I absolutely love. That's one I don't think I'm going to try to beat. And that would be the answer to my, to, to the question I asked you. I love Jackie's warrior. I think that's the most likely winner. So let's transition. I'll ask you a question. Jackie's Warrior, for you, are you as high on Jackie's Warrior as I am, or you've got your eye on maybe a couple of other juveniles going into the race? I, at this time, will be not picking Jackie either. So I, I, I right at this moment, <laughs> my pick in that race is going to be essential quality because I think we're only scratching with And uh, I, that horse, to me, he's, the fact he, see, and, Listen, what I would advise to all those watching this, that are horse players, one of the most important things to be taken into consideration for this year's Breeders' Cup, and I made the same point for the last Breeders' Cup held at Keeneland, prior form at Keeneland is very important on both turf and dirt, probably more on turf, but even both. And the fact that Central He's got that win under his belt on that track around two turns. Really counts for a lot to me. So, uh, and I love the fact Jackie's here will be favored without question. I mean, he's been so sensational. I mean, and there's, uh, there's nothing to really knock there. I mean, he's the horse to beat without any doubt. But this is a situation to me as a horse player, you kind of lick your chops over that you really like a horse and have good reasons to like the horse and the horse won't even be the favorite. So I really, <clears throat> I think Brad Cox and his hands on something special here with this essential quality and Brad Cox is talking like that. And Brad Cox is a guy that's burst on the scene in recent years. And as I listen to him on various radio shows, on various television shows, listen to him all the time. You know, I try to get in the heads of these trainers where I can read the signals. I've gotten pretty good at reading the Bob Baffert signals, mm -hmm. whether they're negative or positive or somewhere. And I, I feel I, I'm getting there with Brad Cox. And the signals I'm getting from him about this cold, like I say, I think this script, people liked, a lot of people liked Maxfield last year. I think this cold could be way better, way better than Maxfield. 
Now, if he's way better than Maxfield, that sets the bar much higher for Jackie's Warrior and the rest of them, too. Yeah, that, that's oh. hard for me to even... You got me excited. He got me excited, oh. then he got me depressed. It's like, oh, I thought I had things figured out, and then that No, I'm depressed so. talking about Maxfield, because, <laughs> you know, that horse could have ran... He, I mean, I, I think they should run back Maxfield in the classic. I mean, he loves Keeneland, so why not? <laughs> um, no, but... Uh, Talking, we got a question from our boy Magic, talking about that forum at Keeneland that you, you know, John, that you, uh, that, you know, it's so important. You know, it says if Keeneland turf forum is important for this Breeders Cup, is Rushing Fall your top filly and mare pick? A horse that obviously very much likes Keeneland. I just think you have to go through one of the steps. I think you should go through, and basically this is for every track, but this is even more so. There's certain places, for instance, like when they used to race at Fairplex which was a 5.8 oval, and in fact, when I first worked there, it was a half-mile oval that they enlarged to a 5.8 oval. But, the, you know, it took kind of special. There were horses that would come in there that had previous good form there, and if their races weren't showing, you know, you'd get a little better price. Fortunately, when they expanded the stats and the form, that took some of the, the uh, value out of that type of situation you know when my dad was handicapped back in the 1960s 70s he'd keep a big stack of racing forms and one one of the things there were two big reasons did that one was how did a head horse run at that track in the past when weren't showing in the eight nine or ten past performance lines you had and more important back then was how did they do on a wet track because all we had were mud marks back then. We didn't have where it had wet and it'd show five starts, four wins, a second, and you know, and you'd go, wow, that horse obviously likes a wet track. It's right there at your fingertips. But this is part of the homework my dad would spend on at night. And I learned from my dad, and you would get some great prices, some great winners by doing that homework, especially versus some guy that shows up at the track and just buys a form and starts handicapping the first race. My dad had done all the homework the night before. If he had a, a sloppy track that day, that guy, all he's got is maybe if the horse has a mud mark. My dad knew that that horse in the past had won like five times slop or something. I mean, you know, and yet it wasn't sitting right there at your fingertips. So there were a ton of things we used to have like that. You Like today, you know if a race is for three-year-olds and up. Didn't know that. They didn't even have state breads. You didn't even know if it was a race restricted state breads. We'd have like three or four workouts instead of a whole workout tab there and with workouts ranked. And I mean, on and on. It's great horse player today that all that information is there, but it's it's kind of sad for those of us that used to do all that work. They didn't even have the trouble comments. And where I grew up at Playfair in Spokane, Washington, which was a 5-8 oval with, uh, let's just say, not exact. Bill Shoemaker and a Chris McKenna guys riding at that track. You had a lot of troubled trips. And if you took good trip notes, and I used to sit there, make my take me to the track so I would be there an hour before time so I could go to the, watch the replays. You only got one. We didn't have VCRs and phones and computers back then. And I would take a pad and write down trip notes on all these horses. But all that, they didn't even have the fractions in the past performances back then. And I kept track of that. And so you'd get some great pace plays because, again, for the just reading the race, you didn't, you see the 19th or the 45, nothing, that wasn't even in there. You had to do the homework. 
And for those of us that did it, it was fantastic. Now, you know, it's all there. What's kind of interesting about all that is that we have computers and videos and breeding information and sales information and trip notes and everything through the kazoo and owning favorites during the 1960s and 70s back then when we didn't have that information was about 32, 33%. And with all this, the percentage of winning favorites is like 32 or 33%. <laughs> you would think that with all this information, the percentage of winning favorites would be either 39 or And it shows you that even though you have that information, it's what you do with that information that still counts too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. And it just shows you how freaking hard this game is, that <laughs> you can have all the information yep. right there. Uh, and still find a way to, to miss a race. <laughs> it's handicapping versus betting, and we talk about that a lot. You can handicap the hell out of a race, but how you bet it and, and your structure uh, of your tickets or, or what you decide to do per race, that's really what makes the difference. Uh, so, yeah, you, you have all the information right there, but it still comes down to your decisions and your, and your betting. Aaron, that's a great point because my dad used to chuckle the time. And he told the absolute truth when he, and he said a lot. He said, I could have Senators picked on Henry's card and lose money. And <laughs> yep. I saw him do it many times. The guy was a great handicapper and a terrible better. Yeah, that's. And he would sit there and watch her after winter, but have his to bet some horse in like the 10th race or something and <laughs> on the day and lose. What he forced me to do was to take a different approach because I would watch this and I would bet most of the races, but I would, I would bet di different amounts. It could be $2 in this race, $20 in that race, what have you. And uh, he once challenged me. He says, you cannot possibly, he said, it's impossible for a person, anybody to, to bet every race at a single meet, like of any length. And at that time, the meet in my hometown was 50-plus days. It was like 54 days. And he said, "There, you can't bet every race and show profit. And I said, I'll take that challenge. And so we bet $100, and I proved it in 1972. I bet every single race at that 1972 Playfair meet and showed a flat bet profit at that meet. But the way I approached it was, you know, I bet $2, you know, in the first race or maybe a $2 daily double and, you know, 4 dollars in the second race and two dollars in the third and then if i loved a horse in the fourth i'd bet 60 <laughs> so in other words that was how i was able to do it and i, I hit enough of the bets that i'm bigger wager on that that i was able to show the profit for the meat but it really goes to show aaron the point you were making is that handicapping races is one thing and betting races is an entire entirely different situation and how you structure tickets how you handle your bankroll you know, uh, what races you emphasize, what kind of wagering you make is, you know, what kind of uh, exotic wagers do you play and that type of thing. So, because, you know, it all has a bearing on whether you're going to have long, like back in the days when I was a pick six player uh, before these jackpots, which has basically taken me right out of the pick six thing, because I'm just, I don't have the interest in the pick six anymore. I'm not going to bet against these guys, they're betting two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars trying to hit that jackpot. And uh, but back in the days, I played the pick six, and I played it at several Breeders' Cups. Uh, you know, it was you had to be ready for long droughts. 
it's hard to pick six winners, even with choices in a race. Yep. So you had to prepare yourself mentally and financially for some droughts. But you were hoping, and what I loved about the pick six through all the years I played it was when you would a consultant for five. And usually if you missed a race and you had three that you missed, you'd get three consolations. And, you know, that you'd have, you, there was a Breeders' Cup once that I had like five winning consolations and, you know, made like $4,000 at that Breeders' Cup. I didn't hit the pick six, but I still had a winning day just by having, you know, that many consolations. So uh, that's what I kind of miss about the pick six. But betting and picking and handicapping all they're all different things you know i wanted to i wanted to uh bring up the the other juvenile race because you talked about a little bit ago how a couple of things that i thought were interesting i want to get your take on is you know one how important it is to have a race under at the keeneland you know uh track and then also how you have a you mentioned how you have a good read on bob baffert and and how his horses are coming into races and of course princess newer uh coming in that off of that and really impressive chandelier for Bob Baffert, probably be the favorite of this race. And then, you know, you look at a horse like uh, uh, the uh, Alcibiades winner, uh, Simply Ravishing for McPeak, um, who obviously was won on the Keeneland track. And so how much level playing field are, are you going to try to beat? You know, there's plenty of horses out of that Alcibiades, you know, that like, are you, how much, I guess, are you on Princess Newer? And if you're not, is that Alcibiades race kind of where you're leaning? Well, it's a, this is really true because you would certainly prefer Princess Noor to have better buyers than she does. But this goes back into something that we all have discussed from time to time, and that is how advocated for buyers to have a plus in some situations. And I think you would have a plus for all of Princess Noor's races so far. She hasn't been asked to run at all yet. And she's coming in a bit in a better situation the people that just go by numbers realize because what happened to Del Mar is before her first race, she was supposed to run the week before didn't fill. And so they had ran her a week later and that tightened it up between that race and the debutante. And so he basically didn't train her much at all between her debut win and the debut. And Espinosa is smart. He learned this, uh, you know, on American Pharaoh that you might want to save some gas in the tank if you're going to have to come back rather quickly. And so that first race, that's one reason he just kind of sat there like a statue in the last part of that race. And knowing that, oh, there's, you know, it was the chandelier down the line. Once he had that uh, debutante wrapped up, he again didn't want to overly ask her. See, I asked the question, what do you better hurt? Is she supposed to win by 30? <laughs> I mean, is she supposed to win by 20? You know, in other words, they don't need to win by more than she was asked to win by. So, you know, yes, her numbers owe. And now Baffert has, the, for the first time, really, the time to train her the way he would like the chandelier and the breeders cup so this is the first time really in her career she's going to get the real baffert training treatment that he would prefer and uh we know what he can do in a situation like this so it's you know there is a question about her she's really fast 
And there is a question about how good she is, how, uh, how effective she'll be at a mile, mile, even though she won that race at Santa Anita. You know, this, this may not be her absolute strength. It might be Gamine. You know, Baffert has loved Gamine all along she, and has talked her up, basically like the second coming of Justify. But one thing I think, think that proves she's not really the second coming of Justify, Justify won the Belmont Stakes at a mile and a half. I don't think you could get Gamine to win going a mile and a half, you know, if you, like, gave her a, a rest halfway through the race. <laughs> so, in other words, there's a similarity between Gamine and Justify in terms of their But there's a limit on the stamina side for Gamine. why they're opting for the Philadelphia. That tells you right there. And this is the, there's a possibility Princess Noor could kind of be in that same category too, which would make her vulnerable against not only the uh, winner, uh, you know, uh, Keeneland, but the winner in New York, because that's a nice Philly too. Right. So I think those are two outs, you know, and this is not exactly a weak Phillies all of a sudden. You, it's chock full of undefeated Phillies. So, you know, Princess Noor could be the real deal and run third in this mm -hmm. race, possibly. So that's kind of how I look at that. But the thing I would caution the followers of the dude that are horse racing fans, don't judge Princess Noor too harshly for her low buyer's speed figures because circumstances are into those. And as I say, if I were assigning buyer's figures and had the ability all three of her wins would get a plus. She and that is a rarity in itself because other than Lincoln Farrow, I can't think of many instances where a horse would run three straight races and get races that I would add a plus to their buyer speed figure, meaning that the number in itself shows. And uh, so it's intriguing. There's and the thing about Princess Nord, the low numbers will help her price. Because the number of the betting to a large extent. And so if you if you stick with Princess Noor, the one thing about it, at least you're not going to get robbed in the value department. You're, you're going to get as good a value. In other words, the value will be much better than if she showed like a 92 in the Chandelier and a 91 in the Del Mar debutante. You know, then you could like cut her price maybe in half or something like that. But because they're in the 70s, you know, you're going to get a better price on her probably. And yet she's still like ranked number one in the DRF rankings. Uh, but I'm not even positive because of those low buyers should have favored in the race, quite honestly. Yeah, no, it's, she's, she's tricky because you're one of those that after the race, you could say, well, she said, like I say, she finishes third. And you're like, well, damn, I mean, that was, you know, like the, either the, I, the buyers were right. Because, you know, I always say like sometimes you got to find an angle, even if it's not you know, the right angle or whatever, but you have to find an angle in these Breeders' Cup races just to, to roll with because sometimes these races are so evenly matched that you just got to say, okay, you know, the buyers, I'm, that's why I'm not going to play her, even though, like you're saying, I, I'm with you, John. I saw the race. I was visually impressed. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I didn't need to see a number come back to see, to change my opinion on her. But sometimes in these races, you got to find an angle to kind of make that decision and 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 stick with a one pick or the other so in this case uh it will be interesting to see how how she runs because then if she goes and beats these horses and wins this race you're like well that's a, a perfect reason to think why adding the plus makes so much sense in these instances and sometimes you just have to look you know at the bigger picture you know you can actually benefit as a better 
You know, an example of that would be the Preakness with I'll Have Another because Andy Byer and so many people made such a big deal of the Bodemeister and the fast pace he set in the Kentucky Derby with Trinnyberg in the race, a champion sprinter. You know, Bodemeister, you know, and look, top of the street, Bodemeister looked like he was going to win the Kentucky Derby. And I'll have another 19 ran him down fair and square. And the thing about it was, to me, was there was a huge reaction to that. And what happened because of that, they made Bodemeister, even though he didn't win the Kentucky Derby, they made him the big favorite in the Preakness. Unusual Kentucky Derby winner not to be favored in the Preakness. And I, I thought I'll have another, you know, much better price than he should have been. And uh, so I made to what is today the biggest bet I've ever made on a horse in a race on I'll have another. And I will tell you this, at the top of the stretch of the Preakness, I thought, well, so much for that idea, because it looked like Bodemeister was gone. And once again, I'll have another ran him down fair and square. That's why that race proves that I was right and the buyer people were wrong, or at least wrong to the extent that were reacted to the pace, of, you know, of that Bodemeister Kentucky Derby. And they didn't give enough credit to I'll have another winning from post 19. And the thing is, with tracks, I'll have another running over five, a little bit over five lengths farther than Bodemeister did in that race. So while they're going and over that pace situation, they dismissed the fact that I'll have another winner in the Kentucky Derby, which makes sense when he came out of post 19. And uh, so now the sad news about that is I'll have another ran so hard in the Preakness and Bodemeister ran so hard in the Preakness that neither one of them ever ran again. But like I say, it did make for a very good betting opportunity. Let's put it this way. I bet enough on I'll have another that particular day. It's the only time I've gone up to a mutual clerk. And when the guy got down, done counting my money, he asked me if I wanted a whole food sack to put the money in. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories. I, know. I love that story. <laughs> how, how many of you listening can, have, can have ever had a Whole Foods bag to carry your money out of the track? <laughs> On a win bet. <laughs> John, what were his odds that day? You know, I, 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 I can't remember offhand. I mean, I'd have to look. I mean, it's, it's long enough ago now that I... I just know that he was a much better price than he, and he wasn't the favorite. And Bodemister was a very solid favorite that day. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, what was other interesting, another interesting aspect of that. I, after the Kentucky Derby, called a friend in Vegas to bet I'll have another for the Triple Crown. And uh, I got some line to one on him after the derby because he again he didn't get that much respect uh, even after winning the kentucky derby you know i i bet american pharaoh would tend more the kentucky derby to win the triple crown yeah in this case i don't i had one leg under my belt and 10 to one on i'll have another and so because i had that writing with i'll have another i was planning to bet the because i thought he would go favored and so I was sitting in the press box at Santa Anita. I was ready to go on the air for HRTV with Millie Ball. 
And I was the only guy in the press box at Santa Anita that day. Nobody else was there, not even the publicity director, nobody. I was the lone person in the entire Santa Anita press box. And I sat there and kept looking at the odds, and I kept going, this is wrong because this horse should be the favorite. And so that's when I stepped up and I said, you know what? I'm not monkeying around here. I'm going to make the Vermaid on a horse. And I did. And uh, I, I waited till the next day because I, I had to go on the air for HRTV, took my tickets home and everything back the day, and then went up to the clerk. That's when he, and I still have that whole food sack. It's my, I'll have another whole food sack. So just I, while you were talking, I looked it up. Uh, he was three to one that day and Bodie Meister was eight to five. Um, and if you, if you did, I know you, John, remember, but people listening don't remember uh, those two horses were nine links clear of everybody else. I'll have another comes up and wins by a neck over Bodie Meister. And, and really, if you haven't watched that race and you're listening, um, I, I would go watch it. Furlong to run. Bodie Meister's in front. I'll have another. Is Barrick down on him? It's Bodie Meister. And I'll have another in a dramatic greatness. And I'll have another get there. Here he comes. Here's the wire. I'll have another get He ran down Bodie Meister to win the pre- I would say, if I remember, I think, creative cause was third yep yep i was just about to ask john to say test his knowledge just tell me to see who got third but uh, apparently you knew better i know yeah (laughs) john knows uh of course yeah creative cause was third um let's see who else was optimizer was in that race optimizer was sixth. Yeah. yeah he was sixth uh uh creative cause was the fourth choice the third choice was went the day well uh, who finished second to last? That horse had a had a lot of hype. I remember coming into the race, but it truly was a two horse race. And, and like John's saying, you know, and this is the thing that John, you actually kind of taught me this the first time we met. You look at it and you go, okay, I'll have another three to one. Well, from 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 an outsider's perspective, it goes, well, three to one. What kind of price is that? But when you think the horse should be, let's say, six to five, seven to five. And they're three to one. That's the best value you can get. Like that, and that, and that's kind of what you're displaying here, really. Uh, that hey, sure, three to one's not twenty to one, but when I think when I think you know the horse should be six to five, that's tremendous value. Well, it really is. And that, in fact, the way I think you could look at this, just flip flop the odds of Bodemeister and I'll have another. He that is what the odds truthfully should have been for those two horses off of the Kentucky Derby. And yet it was reversed. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Um all right, let's let's kind of put a bow on this. We we talked about the classic earlier to start the show off and let's kind of go back to it to kind of final you know obviously this is the main event. The classic always is this year probably more than others just because of how much could be possibly on the line. Um you know, we, we didn't really get your full pick on the race, John. I know it's early, so I don't want to, like, hold you to it. But, you know, where are you leaning as we sit here a couple of weeks out uh, from the from the big race here? Who, what, which, which horse? Are you going a three-year-old, or are you going to go, like, improbable or, or uh, maximum security? Well, my lean right now would be maximum security from this standpoint. Like I say, I don't think improbable is tr- as trustworthy out of California as he is in California. Anytime you can have maybe a chain in the armor for the favorite, that behooves a horse player to be looking elsewhere. And while I'm big on Tis the Law, 
Antic, you know, I'm not that sure that the three-year-olds of this year necessarily are at a par or better than probable and maximum security. In other words, they are top to top. Then, in other words, at this point, I think the olders are better. And I think you have to always keep in mind, all things being equal, even this late in the year, an older horse has an advantage over a three-year-old. And it, that's proven through the years, like when Affirmed and um, uh, Seattle Slough met. And Affirmed was the Triple Crown winner of 1978. But when they met in the Marlboro Cup, the four-year-old Seattle Slough buried Affirmed. Life is like the biggest firm fan and hates spectacular bid you know i always because she tells me how much heart affirmed had and he did he had tremendous heart he showed it with alidar in the triple crown look i bet i was betting with people at long acres racetrack in 1978 offering them if you wanted to bet alidar i would give you 10 to 1 odds horse against horse and i took that affirmed i was that confirmed would win the balance stakes and make it back-to-back years of the Triple Crown. Why? Because I had watched Laz Barrera win the Belmont with a horse that was like Trini Bird, practically, and that's Bold Fours. And I felt that if Laz Barrera could win the Belmont Stakes with basically a sprinter miler like Bold Forbes, he was a cinch to win it with Affirmed, who was a true classic running horse at a mile and a quarter and a mile and a half. And uh, so I started getting long-distance phone calls from people in the press box at Long Acres. <laughs> hey, are you the guy giving 10 to 1 odds if I want to bet out? <laughs> that, let's just say my palms were sweaty coming all the way down the stretch <laughs> at Belmont Stakes because uh, as confident as I was, that was a race of the ages. You know, it wasn't as much that I was going to win money. It was the money I, I was going <laughs> to lose at this 10 to 1 odds business. So uh, I got it done. But, uh, you know, for sure, like I, generally speaking, the old horse will build. You know, it happened with Spectacular Bed, too, when he ran, you know, against the old horse, too, when, when Affirmed was older. So, you know, it, it, it but yet we've seen to when you pointed out a lot of through have had success in the classics. So, you know, one of the best ones was the Tisnell when he was a three-year-old. Unlike this year, where going into the Breeders' Cup, I think that the older horses are better than the three-year-olds. But it, I'm not positive, and it could go either way. They could be on a par, or maybe Tisnell and the, th- the three-year-olds are better. I, I just I don't think so, but it, it could be. In in the year of 2000, I was 100% convinced that the classic was going to be won by three year old, and I made future book bets. I bet Tisnow at 40 to one. I bet um, Fusiitis at 10 to one, and I bet uh, Nick Zito had a three year old that year whose name is escaping me right now, and I bet on him too at 40. So I had Tisnow at 40 to 1, the Zito horse at 40 to 1, and Fusay to Pegasus kind of as a cover at 10 to 1. And so when Tisnow won, I had 100 bucks on him at 40 to 1 that day for, for the Breeders' Cup. So that's where it's important to have an opinion on the three year olds, the olders going into the Breeders' Cup. But I, I just don't think at this point, uh, I, I would lean to the older horses, either improbable or. or um, 
maximum security, even further down the line, even a horse like by my standards or some of these other horses. I mean, so I think the bar set a little high for the three-year-olds this year, but that said, I respect his the law and I respect I think both. So I, I, you know, I, I'm not strong about it, but the reason I think that I, I would be leaning to security more than anything is I think away California improbable might be possibly vulnerable because of the starting gate antics. And uh, so if that's the case, if you say improbable is where you go. And to me, it's pretty clear that maximum security's overall record, just what he did in Saudi, you know, Saudi Cup, what he stepped up and did that day, shows what he's capable of doing. And he ran an awfully good race in that Kentucky Derby. He was disqualified. So, I mean, you know, he's shipped all over the place and run well. And uh, efforts acting like maximum security is going to run, you know, a much better race this time than he did in the awesome again. He's going to have to. But, you know, this is a case we might get a decent price on maximum security. I was saying I could make him co-second favorite, but, you know, he might get a little lost in the shuffle here coming off that loss, and improbable is going to get play, and tis the law is going to get play. And so, I mean, he might. I think you're going to get certainly more value betting maximum security than you've had in a long time. Remember, he was one to two last time. You're going to get a lot better than one to two on maximum security this time yeah it does feel like you know that his he like you say go go for one to two and all of a sudden it feels like he's almost an afterthought you know people kind of i think that because he was so beaten so well by improbable that day it's just like well you know and i think even from the from the start of when bob baffert got him this year everyone's kind of been looking for a reason to to say well maximum security is not legit anymore because of you know whatever like the drug issues and stuff with service and now he's with Baffert and now it's like well just looking for a reason for him to be like well he's not the same horse he used to be without the drugs so then when it happened or the so it's speed got beat it's like everyone's just like well it's done you know it, he's just not as good as improbable and so I feel like the the fall is way too far and I'm I've been pretty like pretty steadfast with maximum security I think he definitely has a chance to win here. Um, you know, yep. like you say, at a price. And I'm hoping people do forget about them because I hope we get a better price. Exactly. You know, you, it's very rare you're going to be able to, whatever price you get on, because it's, like I say, it's going to be better than one to two. <laughs> and it's very rare you're going to be able to get the price, whatever we get on, uh, we see on uh, Max Security for the record he put together. I mean, that's a heck of a record he's put together. Certainly his overall rear record is better than improbables. Start with that thought right there. Yeah. But what pe- people have recency always in their mind. What just happened influenced. You know, one thing I've learned in making more lines is listening to these people that or with Theragraph and Regazin, the numbers, the sheets guys. And what they have taught me is, and especially when you see surface switches or tracks uh, uh, switches, you know, go back three or four races in a horse's form, and they'll have a big number there. And these guys glom onto that, and they're smart to do that because those recent two races, and sometimes even just one recent race, clouds the form to where people look at overreact to oneies. You'll look at Secretariat again getting beat in the Wood Memorial. You know. He was an eight to five favorite, uh, three to two favorite in the Kentucky Derby, three to two with coupled with angle life. 
and and Sham was eight to five. So Secretary was coupled in the wagering with the horse that had won the Wood Memorial, meaning if it was like it is today where you had single betting interest, Sham would have been the favorite in the Kentucky Derby because Secretary had lost the Memorial. And again, people would have overacted to a horse that was considered beatable and the horse of the century and everything. And if, it, if he had not been coupled in the wagering, he wouldn't have even been the favorite in the Kentucky Derby. That's how people overreact to one race exactly exactly and 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 like yep. you say like in, in the breeders cup that's already uh you already get good value anyways you got to take advantage of those situations when you have that regency on a horse that you know people tend to forget um you know and i think that's going to help not just maximum security but uh, you know authentic a little more recent but tis the law i mean he has he kind of has a recency but recency as far as just the popularity Tom's Diatot, a horse that definitely is going to be, I think, going to get you're going to get a better price on than probably you should because it's been so long since we've seen the horse. Um, but yeah, uh, John, thank you so much. Uh, any final thoughts on the Breeders' Cup that you want to uh, you know give to the the dudes, the fan dudes? Well, I'm just looking forward to it, like all of us racing fans are. And I just think that a year ago, when we were enjoying some nice dinners here uh, near Santa. Anita, and that you know what's happened is so sad here. Uh, you know, our whole world turned upside down like it is, and uh, I'm just crossing my fingers like everybody, hoping that we can, uh, you know, get back to more of a normal world. Uh, and uh, I, I look back fondly on uh, last year's Breeders' Cup and uh, the fun that we had there, not only at the Breeders' Cup, you know, in terms of the, the event itself. But just getting together with friends and having some wonderful dinners, like I say, and uh, uh, you know, it's sad to think of how much the world has changed since then. Yep, I know, I know. It's it, not to be weird, but I I, I miss you, John. So <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, soon. Uh, I don't know how soon, but hopefully soon we'll be back out there again. But. Uh, <laughs> but we can't thank you enough, John, for coming on. As always, it's it's always fun. Always my pleasure, guys. Thanks, John. So there you go, John White. Thank you, as always, for uh, for being with us today. And, you know, it, I mean, it's just, it never ceases to amaze me when we have him on. I mean, we get to, we, we, we're spoiled. We get to talk to him all the time um, and get his insights on anything that's happening live, you know. Um, but just, I think, be able to pick his brain and, and talk about some of those thoughts, like, how he comes up with, you know, a 40, 40 to one. Um, that's the thing about John is he's always been really good about, he, he's a great handicapper, but he's even better, better. Well, the greatest lesson he taught me and we brought it up. Um, by the way, John White is, is one of the all time great people. And, and the reason why I say that the first time I met him, he was right in the middle of making the morning lines or, or not making them, but trying to prepare for the morning lines for the Breeders' Cup, and uh, I, I knew him through a mutual friend of ours, Ryan Stillman, uh, and, and he said, hey, you want to meet John White? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. He's like, well, he's got about an hour if you want to have, like, a, it was like a lunch slash dinner with him. I'm like, sure, let's do it, and uh, eight hours later, we're still there talking, and it just shows you he's more than willing to, to, to spread or, or help, you know, new people get involved in the, not involved, but new people learn about the game, and, uh, you know, I was still fairly new into the game. And, and the, the thing that he taught me is, hey, value is all about 
perceived odds versus what the actual odds are. And value is not betting a lot of 10s, 20s, and 40s to 1s. Now, he will do it when he thinks it's the right time. Right. But he's not going to do that every race. And the biggest bet of his life was I'll have another. And, Jared, you fast forward a couple years later, we're sitting there and it's Kentucky Derby Day and American Pharaoh's 5 to 2, and we think he should be even money to win the race. And what did we do? <laughs> we made the biggest bet of our life yeah, on American Pharaoh. Exactly, exactly. And I, the, the big reason why I did it was because John White had told me not two years ago, well, I think it was maybe a year or two ago, I couldn't remember, uh, I think it was 2014, uh, you know, he said, yeah. hey, that's that's value. That is the definition of value. So I don't know. I just thought that was the, the best lesson I was ever taught, was taught by that guy, and he's taught me a lot, but that, that was a great one. And, and it does seem like that's such a... Uh, uh misnomer in our game especially for people that follow us feels like you know when we say value it doesn't mean that we're having to pick a 10 20 to 50 you know 50 to 1 shot every race it's about perceived value if you think that horse should be three to one he's five to one that's value if you think he should be even money he's five to two that's value it's all about you're getting i mean you're getting more than what you it just it's like anything you know if you think if, if, a, if a if a shirt is normally twenty dollars and you're getting it for uh, 10 that's value you know it's just the same thing you know it's like if you think it's worth more then then use it or bet it so yeah i mean that's one thing to me as well that you know that i've always anytime you know you you kind of you think about it you're like yeah i mean john has always told us like you gotta when you bet something you know as long as you you think the value's there then it's a good bet you know um yeah and yeah. so that's been something that you know definitely that we've learned all right uh Again, awesome to have John. That's all the time we have. Check out racingnews.com for our free picks and our premium selection on our handicap products page. Click the products link at the main menu at racingnews.com to learn more. Uh, go check out the uh, all-inclusive wager guide to the 2020 Breeders' Cup running November 6th and 7th at Keeneland. This is an official betting guide to the Breeders' Cup World Championships, and it uh, includes everything. I mean, I, I could list it all, but it, it slims on it, we're on it. Uh, you and I are going to combine a, a kind of a, a – we're going to – Combine forces and put together an exact wagering strategy for the, you know, of course, we're going to be there, so it's good. we're going to combine kind of our insights. You know, we always do, but with this, we're going to give you exactly what we're betting, and we're going to go play it ourselves while we're there and just follow along. So that's going to be included, of course. I mean, this thing's going to be like 30 pages, so go check that out, racedudes.com, on the products page. The pre-sale is up right now. Just go check it out what it looks like if you want to get a better idea of that, but uh, obviously, we have already started. I'm actually starting right now. I've been working on today the trends. The 14 trends to the Breeders' Cup. That's a guide we put out that's free. Look for that next week. It's awesome. I mean, it really is, and it kind of gets you pumped up for uh, for the Breeders' Cup. All right, we're currently covering 30-plus tracks, all offering free picks. We're on Twitter, at Racers of Dudes, Instagram, Facebook. Listen to it on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Stitcher, and the website at RacingDudes.com. What you got? Oh, I was going to say one more thing for people that it, maybe you're just tuning in or you haven't read the comments. I thought I thought the most, well, one of the most interesting things of the last hour and a half, uh, John talked about trying to beat Monomoy. I kind of, I'm going to try to beat him, I, I beat her. I don't really know your thoughts on it, but I thought it was interesting that Slim made a comment as well. I think we got to try to beat her and Slim's probably her biggest fan. So there's three people right there thinking, okay, what's the key to the big sequence to hit a big sequence? Try to get her beat. Um, well, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Well, I mean, you look at the the races, and of course, we don't know the exact order, but you you know, usually the turf is right before the classic, so you got we we kind of know the classic is going to be tough, right? Um, yep. As far as depth, and then you have the turf, the, and I mean, even though 
Euros typically dominate that race, and we certainly don't have a, a top kind of top tier turf horse, it's still wide open as far as which Euro you would you go with. And so you look at the distaff, and you know you, I mean, you can either choose two different things, right? You can choose to single Monomoy. Yep. And you do that, obviously, you can go deep in the turf and you can go deep in the classic, or you play against, and it just implodes the you know the the payouts because all of a sudden all you don't you know you need say you get say Swiss guy ever runs in the classic and you get Dunbar Road or whoever uh, anyone but Monomoy girl right get her in yeah. and then all of a sudden it doesn't really matter for who wins the 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 turf in the classic because you you got Monomoy beat who's going to be singled in a lot of tickets yep no you're exactly right and it's going to just kind of be the fun part of it and kind of what we talked about with John. You can you can handicap a race and, and do great, but the betting and the decisions and where you go short and where you go long, that's ultimately going to decide it. Uh, and, you know, there's just no way around it. And I thought uh, one last thing when he was talking about his dad, I, I couldn't help but chuckle because my dad's the same way. I, I consider him a great handicapper and the, probably the worst better I've ever been around. <laughs> and it's just like, you, you know, uh, you just have to be able to combine both. And and that's that's the biggest challenge of the game a lot of times. I mean, handicapping, it's definitely an art to it. But, man, the betting part of it, it's it's that's the challenge, right? And so that's that's what we all try to do our best at. Uh, you know, once once the big day comes, and hopefully, you know, we get it right. Um, that's a like someone asked Rick James, your boy Rick James asked, is, hey, is, is there any European threats <laughs> now that enable uh, magical Gaeth are all out? And I put mm-hmm. out that this is straight from Magic, who, by the way, go to racingdudes.com. Magic has got a full contenders list. So if you want to go to racingdudes.com, it's either on the Breeders' Cup page or on the homepage there. Check out the 2020 Breeders' Cup contenders tracker. Now, I'll give you an idea of who's uh, aiming for all these races. It's up to the minute uh, updates from, from Magic. Uh, but expected from uh, to the turf are Lassero, Lord North, Mogul, Possible, uh, Donja, Magical, uh, uh, Serpentine, Tar- Tarnana. That's your pick, isn't it? Tarnana? As of now, yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. anyway, it's still way up in the air as far as what who's going to come, uh, which makes that race interesting because, you know, last year, you know, even with bricks and mortar winning we we rounded out the top three you know the yeah. u.s and that and you know and so it's like you can't say well just because he won uh or just because we had a top tier horse that's why we were no i mean he i mean it would have been sadler's joy or something you know so right it, it, i'm, I'm tr- kind of on the fence with that race because even though euros dominate that race do we have a euro in here that can dominate that race so. yeah no i i, I know yeah and and I wish we had a bricks and mortar because that'd be a single in this field, you know. So exactly, uh, we'll see what happens. If uh, yeah, that's one. We just have to we just have to figure out who actually comes over to the race All as right. Philly makes an appearance on the show. Yeah, yeah what's up? What's up, Philly? Uh, what's the Magic Mike show doing today? Do you know? um, they're, getting, they're, they're coming on right after us, uh, maybe right? Yeah, Magic Mike show will be doing the late pick four from Belmont on Saturday. Uh, it's all state breads, so they they're going to Belmont to do that. All right, well, we'll get off here because I think uh, we were worried that yep. John might carry it longer than their 4.30 time slot, which we're, we're just barely over, so maybe they, they can yeah. get over it. Yeah. So, John did a great job. John, I, I'm John was awesome. Uh, the technical difficulties on his end might make my, hand, my, uh, my editing, uh, my job a little tougher than I would like it to be, but 
That's okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's worth having John on. So, um, first time we've done it this way with John. Usually we call him on his landline. Uh, right. For some of those yeah. listening, you don't know yeah. what a landline is, Google it. But, uh, you know, that's what we <laughs> usually call him. So it's a little different this time. But, yeah, I thought he did a good job, of course, representing his uh, L.A. Dodgers hat. So uh, yep. it's depressing because usually, not usually, I mean, most of the time, it's like the Breeders' Cup is at Santa Anita. So we're like, at this time of the year, we're like, hey, all right, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> the steamer show that's right i'm tuning in for that one rick so i cannot wait uh <laughs> you know you know rick thanks to you the other day al halterman sent me a picture of some uh cleveland browns uh tennis shoes he was gonna buy and i asked if it came with a free cleveland steamer inside of each one so he, uh, <laughs> hey by the way we'll i see. bought them i have they haven't come yet but i got the ou ones today that's a pretty sweet these are yeah, I I'm a huge fan of these. So I I've, I've got the Browns coming and I've got the Cardinals coming. So, but I mean I, I think that's a good looking shoe. So you should wear like you should be really cool and like wear like on Sundays you could wear Browns on one foot and and Arizona on the other. That'd be really cool. Yeah, probably not gonna. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, uh, we'll be back next week uh, talking a little bit more in depth as far as the Breeders Cup goes because we'll have the pre entries out and of course the next week. I don't know. We'll see. We're, we're leaving on Wednesday, uh, yep. so we might do the pod actually live from. I think we'll probably yep. do the pod live from uh, from Lexington. So uh, on Thursday, like like normal, we'll do it on here, but we'll be in Lexington. So stay tuned for that. So next week, our last show here before we go to Lexington. So thanks everybody for joining us. I'm Jared Welch. He's Aaron Alterman. Good luck this weekend. RacingDudes.com for all of your needs. RacingDudes.com for all of your leads. RacingDudes.com for all of your bets. RacingDudes.com as good as it gets. RacingDudes.com for all of your needs. RacingDudes.com for all of your leads. RacingDudes.com for all of your bets. RacingDudes.com as good as it gets. <laughs>